Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss Event Horizon. I'm Sebastian, and I'm here with Rodney. Hey, hello. Welcome back to me. Rodney and I are going to take a journey into space and cover the film Event Horizon from 1997, uh, as directed by Paul Anderson. Now, Rodney, are you a fan of Paul Anderson? I assume you love Boogie Nights and Magnolia. Yeah, but there will be blood by far his best. (laughs) This is really... uh, different for him it felt very different it's a real departure for him oh we're kidding if you know anything about movies you know that there are two paul andersons paul ws anderson who is the director of event horizon and paul thomas pt anderson yes paul thomas that's it okay anyways it's a dumb joke and people have been making that joke now for 30 years so uh you know haha funny anyways we're gonna discuss event horizon which is a space horror movie would you say rodney yeah that's exactly what it is if anyone used any other words i'd yell at them now rodney do you have a history with this movie i do Uh, i saw this in theaters back when it came out and i loved it then and i have loved it since and i frequently i've never actually sat down like made a list but it would easily be in my top 10 horror movies I wouldn't put it anywhere near my top 10 horror movies i would probably put it in my top 10 space horror movies but how many of those are there can you name 10 space (laughs) horror movies yeah sure i mean there's four alien movies right event horizon (laughs) yeah 
the black hole. There's a couple of okay, others. Okay, I guess Sunshine, but I think you're out now. Pandorum. Have you seen Pandorum? Yes, of course I've seen Pandorum. And and I guess Virus? Isn't Virus a space horror movie? Or is that on a boat? That doesn't take place in space. Oh, yeah, Supernova? Is Supernova a horror movie with James Spader? Close enough. Close enough. Same kind of idea. Uh, Solaris, yeah, Solaris, which this movie gets uh, compared to a lot, which isn't really a horror movie. is more of a psychological horror movie. But, you know, there's different grades of horror. Uh, and with outer space movies, there's no exception to that rule oh life which people never really saw but that jake gyllenhaal movie yes i just watched it the other day pretty good pretty good yeah it's not bad um i also like the movie underwater which is not an outer space movie but feels like one underwater is amazing that's that's actually like an amazing movie it's also a huge bomb so at some point um i should probably discuss it on this show maybe you'd like to discuss underwater that's on my top 10 underwater movies there's definitely only 10 of those maybe top 10 horror movies of all time is a little strong like if i actually sat down and started making the list maybe event horizon doesn't make it to the top 10 but it feels like it would like i i have cherished this movie for now what fucking 27 years you know I think very fondly of it, uh, and I have a lot to say on the matter. But So let's just say I love this movie a lot. All right. Well, I'm going to come in a little less hot than you. I do like this movie. I own it. I've enjoyed it on several occasions. I remember being pretty excited about it when it came out. I remember seeing some like production stills of it. And, you know, it was like a shot of like them in spacesuits looking at that gyrosphere drive thing. And um, I was like, oh, cool. I can't wait till this movie comes out. And then it came out. And I don't remember if I saw it in the theater or I saw it on VHS or something. But I remember being kind of like, yeah, that was good, but I wasn't like in love with it. And I've returned to it a bunch of times. I will say this right off the bat as a compliment for it. It's definitely by far the best movie Paul W.S. Anderson has ever made. I think, yeah. Let's be honest. He's a bad filmmaker, right? Would you agree that he's a bad filmmaker? I don't actually. You don't agree that he's a bad filmmaker? No, I think he's a good filmmaker. What movies of his other than this one do you think are good? I think Mortal Kombat is really awesome. It's not, but continue. <laughs> I understand that like things have times have moved on and things have changed, but when Mortal Kombat came out, I mean, I saw that so many times in the theaters. You you wouldn't believe. Like one time, I straight up went and saw it by myself. And stayed in my seat, and the credits ended, and then I just watched it again. Like I, like I went to the bathroom to like pretend like I was, you know, a new customer, and just walked right back into the theater and watched it twice in a row. So Mortal Kombat is like your Star Wars. I, I mean, I understand like it's goofy, and there's like some, I don't know. I just, I thought Mortal Kombat was dope. It just had like, like a lot of great fight scenes. I was, I mean, it was at the height of like. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it wasn't the height of Mortal Kombat. I don't know when that was, but like people were into Mortal Kombat. But I also look. I also think his original Resident Evil is a great movie. Like not like a classy piece of art or anything, but I think he really made a cool movie despite it not really being the story of Resident Evil. I think Resident Evil is a good time, and I think some of his later Resident Evil films, while sloppy and definitely like what the fuck's happening. I just think they've got some cool sequences and some cool visuals. He's like a very visual storyteller. And I like that. I even kind of liked Monster Hunter for how ridiculous it was. Having said that, I agree Event Horizon is his best film. 
I'm going to be a little harder on him than you. Uh, I think he's pretty much a hack. Uh, Mortal Kombat is not a good movie, especially if you like the game, mainly because it's so neutered and not gory. Like, uh, of the gore hound, I'm really shocked that you like that movie so much because it's so neutered. It's like PG-13, so you're not really getting what you want out of Mortal Kombat. I think that Resident Evil, the first one, is a fine zombie movie. It's not great, in my opinion opinion, but it's fine. Some of his other Resident Evil movies are fucking terrible, especially the second he one. He didn't direct that. Oh, he just wrote yes, it. I, I agree. The second Resident Evil is probably the worst in the series, and he did not direct it. He comes back in at four. I think he did not direct two and three, and then at four, he retakes the reins. Alien versus Predator is a bad movie. Horribly disappointing. Oh, he did that. Huh? Yeah. I'm not like no one's perfect, but yeah, that is a bad movie. <laughs> I hated that. I definitely walked out of that upset. Having said that, it's still he's still like a very visual director. Like I that I think that's the thing is like I can be won over with a real slick aesthetic. Sure. Alien versus Predator is a good looking movie. It's just lame because it's the same note you have about Mortal Kombat. It's PG thirteen. Eh. I and I hear you about Mortal Kombat. Like, of course it should be rated R. And I get why they made a PG thirteen. And like I have this conversation with my wife all the time. I'd rather everything's just R-rated. I'd rather everything's made for adults. I'm an adult, right? Like, let's make Toy Story R and get some fucks in there, right? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I just have to, like, accept that the movie is what it is. It's it's PG-13. I'll watch it. And, like, I thought for Mortal Kombat, they did... Like, they killed people. And I thought that was important. Like, people get their necks broken... You know, like he, they, half the cast of Mortal Kombat is wiped out in the movie. And that's cool. If there ain't spines getting ripped out of people, it ain't Mortal Kombat as far as I'm concerned. But we're not here to talk about Mortal Kombat. Yeah. We're here to talk about Event Horizon. No, we were, but now it's about Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about Event Horizon. You know, we open with like a sort of scrawl that lets you know the timeline of events that has led up to this story. This story primarily takes place in 2047, so just a little over 20 years away, and we're going to (laughs) be in Event Horizon's timeline. You know, basically this starship has disappeared. It was the most expensive starship ever. It's similar to the setup of the Black Hole which Troy and I just discussed last episode. I had that moment where, like, this happens a lot as we all get older. Like, the movie starts like, 2015. We, like, colonized Mars or whatever. And I was like, incorrect, (laughs) you know? (laughs) It's like, 2027, we've reached the outer reaches of space. And it's like, man, we are, we're really lagging behind. (laughs) Yeah, we're in the timeline where none of that happens and we barely get off the planet ever. Only really rich people, like, go up into the atmosphere and then come right back we down. We are nowhere from having, like, an actual fucking building on the moon that people, like, live in, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let alone, like, a space-folding hyper-jump machine, you know? But that's fine. I, I get it. I love a good opening, what do you ever want to call it, like, setup on screen. Just, like, give me a couple sentences and tell me where we're at. Like, in 2018, we ran out of water, we built robots that make water, and now they've turned on us, Right open on like a crushed landscape and i'm like i'm in there's something to be said for the brevity of it for sure now one thing i want to discuss is kind of like these first few scenes 
you know, the movie's a horror movie, so it's kind of trying to give you sort of like an opening scare. You know, we get this setup with Sam Neill's character, uh, Weir. I think he's named after Peter Weir or something. But, you know, he's this scientist and we open on him at this like space station, right? Like he's having bad dreams on a space station so that we can see flashes of the horror that we're soon to experience. It's weird because the movie then is going to have him go into like cryo sleep so that he can then go to the far reaches of Neptune or whatever. But it's like, we wake up here, then we're going to go to sleep again and then wake up again. It feels like they're trying not to do the exact same opening of Alien where, you know, we get these people in cryo sleep waking up. So they're like, how are we going to do something different? But we need it to be scary too. I don't know. It feels a little hacky to me. It is setting up that he is having night. He's been having nightmares about his dead wife, Claire, I think. Right. And she has like no eyes or whatever. And I think one thing that's a that's a little confusing in the film. I mean, it's not confusing. It's right there. But like it feel even in this recent viewing, because I haven't watched this in a long time, maybe like 10 years. But like it feels like you're going to find out that Claire was on the event horizon and she's like calling him to like come back. Right. Yeah. But, but later, no, it just turns out she like killed herself. Yeah. So like his whole like I need to get to the event horizon. Like I got to be there. I got to know where it went it makes the opening make a little less sense, right? Like it would just feel better if he was having dreams of his missing wife, but he, it's just to show you, he is a tormented soul. I like your rewrite better. I think that would be better because it gives him a personal reason to want to go there. I mean, he does have a personal reason because we're going to find out he designed this ship and he wants to find out what happened. I mean, the setup is these, I don't know, they're like Air Force or something. I'm not sure exactly what the crew of the Lewis and Clark are. They're like a rescue team. Like when other ships get in trouble, they send the Lewis and Clark with Lawrence Fishburne and crew to like go save the people. And they're all not super happy about having to do this assignment because they've all just gotten home from some other assignment. Now they've got to go out again and they don't really know why. And so Sam Weir's character has to sort of explain to them. Well, he doesn't do that until they actually get to Neptune. But right away, we get this sense that they don't want his niceties. They're kind of assholes to him. And it's understandable why. Yeah, I want to talk about a couple things briefly. And one is, I don't know if you're going to cover this or not, but... The fact that the original cut of this film was much longer. Yes. It was originally like around 130 minutes. And I think the final runtime is like 90 some minutes. So there's like approximately, what, 30 to 40 minutes that have been taken out. And a couple of those scenes are still on the like the DVD special edition, which I have because it's one of my 10 favorite horror films. In that, I don't know if you've seen these, there is a longer scene where Sam Neill first gets the mission. He like is called into this office with these like these people you never see again, but you know, like a c- commander and his corporal or whatever. And they like, are like, we got the readouts and blah, 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 blah. And so the, he basically fights for, I've got to go on this mission. Right. Right. And totally unnecessary. Cause you, you get the same thing. Like it's not giving you any new information, but there is a bit more time with Sam Neill supposedly at the beginning of the film. And then there was a, in the script and storyboarded was an entire opening scene where the Lawrence Fishburne crew saves a ship so we get to see them doing their job oh that would be cool and in that sequence was the part where like an airlock blows open and a dude gets sucked out lawrence fishburne has to like jump and like grab the dude and save him right and they basically cut that for budget reasons because they were like well that will take you know it's a whole other fucking action scene and 
then they repurpose that airlock sequence for the dude later on the event horizon. Jack, I think his name is. The actor is Jack Noseworthy, which I think is an amazing name. Then what's the, uh, yeah, sorry, then what's the, I don't remember the character's name. Well, they call him Baby Bear Justin is his Justin, name. yeah, yeah. So anyway, while that's not in the movie, originally there was going to be a bit more time, and this is a minor note I have. It does feel like this movie moves pretty quickly, right? Like the movie yes. starts and it's like, oh my God, I had a nightmare. Get on board this ship. Where are we going? We're going out to Neptune, right? <laughs> and... And I also agree. It's like, why are you being mad at like Sam Neill? He's not the one making you go. Like someone else told you to go, and he's like coming with you. You know, but they're they're just cranky. I get it. I mean, look, if you compare this movie to Alien, and I know that's not probably a fair comparison, but like the characters in Alien are so much better defined in such less time than this movie. Like you get a sense of who those characters are like the first scene. And it's because they have these kind of realistic desires. And, you know, two guys are just worried about the money and one guy just wants to get home. And, you know, like it's so much more subtle and yet so much more effective than this crew. Like, I feel like this crew, it's either like kind of cartoony characterization like the cooper character who's like and this was kind of a thing back in the day there would be kind of like the sassy black guy in every like 90s movie and i feel that this character as played by richard t jones is just that's kind of his character and you get like jolie richardson whose character is like to be the woman communications officer. And then you've got Kathleen Quinlan and her character is that she was a mother with a, you know, a sick kid at home. And, and they're just kind of like stock feeling characters. You know, you've got the pilot who's kind of brash and ready to fight. And I, I just feel like they're not nuanced. They're comic book one note kind of characters. And that's fine, you know, for like a horror movie, and, and like, I know about the longer cut. So like, while I'm watching this, I'm like, would this be improved if I got more time with these characters and I kind of like got to know them a little bit better? And I have to say that I think it probably wouldn't be improved because I don't think that Paul Anderson has the ability to create nuanced, realistic feeling characters. And I know the comparison to Alien is kind of unfair, but even comparing it to aliens where the characters are a lot more cartoony i still feel like they're way better characterizations than what we get here these characters are forgettable eh. if i said to you who is lieutenant stark in event horizon what would you say I mean, yeah i don't know which character that is who is parker in alien i don't know who that is either so you don't know who parker is in alien i don't know the character names of every i know ripley i know ellen ripley is Parker the dude who gets the thing burst out of his chest? No, that's Kane. I mean, you're sitting there literally wearing a Nostromo hat while we talk. I know, and it's unfair. I know comparing it to the best space horror movie ever made is kind of unfair. Yet this movie is really trying hard to be alien in a lot of ways. So I think the comparison is fair. But I don't think it's fair to say it's trying to be, you know, like if I make a fucking movie about a guy whose daughter is kidnapped and he goes after her, that doesn't mean I'm trying to be commando. 
Right. But what else am I going to compare it to? Obviously, I'm not going to compare it to Gone with the Wind. I'm going to compare it to something that's in a similar genre. Sure. And it's very much the same genre as Alien. I don't really think the characters are that great in Alien either. Like, the captain's just like the captain. Like There's there's, there's like a doctor. There's like another woman. I, I could say the same thing about Alien. I don't feel like... No. Alien is so much better than this. You find out the doctor is a fucking robot that's betraying okay, them. Okay, yeah. Like, there's way more nuance to the characters in Alien. I'm dude. not here to compare Event Horizon to Alien. I understand why you would compare. And Alien is the better film in most ways. Every way. Every single possible way. <laughs> Maybe. I'd have to think about that. Yes, fact. I will say... Event Horizon wins for having visions of hell in it, okay? <laughs> Alien's not trying to have visions of hell in it. Yeah, and Event Horizon isn't trying to have an alien in it. So, like, you know, <laughs> I, I guess all I'm saying is that, like, I just kind of, like, don't care, right? Like, it's the same as, like, another movie that is very similar to this that I also love is Deep Rising. Have you seen Deep Rising? I have, yeah. Steven mm-hmm. Summers movie? Like, I don't give a fuck who these people are. There's just like a dude and he's like, I'm a fucking thief. We're going to go do this mission. He's got his like crew of thieves and they like meet a crew of assholes and they're like, we're going and now we're on the journey. And like, yeah, I like a little line here and there where someone's like smoking a cigarette. He's like, what are you going to do with the money? He's like, I'm going to buy my lady the house of her dreams. What about you? He's like, I'm moving to Bali and I'm never coming home. You ever notice we talk exactly the same? (laughs) (laughs) And like, yeah, that that helps. But like, like we've talked about in other episodes, I'm not here for like a character study. I'm here to watch people get picked off on a haunted spaceship, a monster driven cruise ship, a fucking camp with like a mass killer. Like, I'm here for a thing. So I just need you to like, make me care about them dying. That's the only difference. If it all started, like if it opened in Event Horizon, and they all just like shooting dogs in the head for fun, then I'd be like, yeah. I, I actually I might like it more because I'd be like I can't wait for these people to die. Yeah, look, I'm not saying they're the worst characters in the world. I'm just saying they're kind of stock. They're stock. They're very much like cookie cutter characters. That's fine for this kind of movie, but it makes it so that it's clearly a B movie and it's not like an A movie like Alien or Aliens. I I genuinely think you could have one five minute scene at the beginning of this movie where you meet the crew of the Lewis and Clark before Sam Neill comes on board and they're talking about the upcoming mission and that would solve the problem. I think that might've even existed and who knows? We'll never know what was actually cut. I will give you that they are, cause they are stock and they are serviceable, but I do think that they, they don't blend together. I think that's my point. I think it's very clear. Like Jason Isaacs is the doctor and he's very serious. And there, I mean, there's two black guys because there's Lawrence Fishburne and the other guy whose name I, you, what's his name, character or Cooper? Cooper. You know, eh, I don't. I guess he's sort of wise cracking, you know. But like, he's totally wise cracking. He comes up to Jolie Richardson with a cup of coffee. Oh, you're and right. He's like, yeah. Hey, would you like a little black in you or whatever? It's very '90s. This yeah. is what we thought black people were like in the '90s or something. I mean, I have I have no more comments on this. Like they. <laughs> I just don't care. Like, for me, I just don't care until they get to the event horizon. Well, let's talk about 
you know, the whole kind of trip to the event horizon. One thing I'd like to bring up that I will credit this movie with, which is cool, is the scene where they've come out of cryosleep. And of course, like Sam Neill has had like another nightmare in cryosleep where he's walking around in his underpants and he sees his dead wife at the helm of the ship or whatever. I do like the dead wife imagery. Like that's kind of my favorite sort of ghost imagery of the movie. I think she's a really kind of creepy looking actress. I thought they cast her well just as a ghost. She just kind of looks creepy and she's got like no eyes. That's going to be a motif that we're going to see a lot is these visions tend to not have eyes because we're going to find out this crew like ripped out their eyes or whatever. After that, he is talking to them, briefing them on what the event horizon is. It's this ship that essentially has this like crazy gyrosphere drive in it that can open up a hole in time and space, in effect, creating a black hole. And, you know, we get the very kind of cliche scene where they're like, speak English. Like one of my pet peeves in movies is when a smart person has to explain things to like less smart people. And they always say, speak English. Come on. I mean, this is 97. So we'll, we'll forgive it. But especially in the day and age that we live in now where people speak in fucking like tech talk all day long, like who would ever say to somebody like, Hello, can you speak English, please, egghead? Or whatever. I just hate that shit. Anyway, he does describe how the whole thing works in a very cool way. He basically takes like a pinup off of the pilot's like locker and sticks a pencil through it to sort of demonstrate how this Event Horizon ship works. And this scene was then basically replicated by Christopher Nolan in Interstellar. Yeah many years later and so you gotta give it to event horizon it got there first yeah i wonder if like if christopher nolan stole that moment from event horizon or if both of these scenes are just based on like you know it's like in some book somewhere or like even yeah. just like a book on astrophysics and someone like an actual like non-fiction book someone explaining it like that you know Probably, but I'd like to think that Christopher Nolan saw Event Horizon and was like, you know, this movie is dumb, but... I gotta tell you, it's way better than an Interstellar, I'll tell you that. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you. It's more fun to watch. But I do think that scene... Look, I get why they do it, right? Because they're doing it to say, like, look, I want to show you that Sam Neill's a very smart person. So he's talking... He's, like, saying terms you don't understand. And that, that's characterization. It's showing you that, like... You know, yeah, no, he clearly did build the ship, but it also sort of like is a way of saying he's a little out of touch with these people. Sure. Yeah, I get and it. I also love I love the explanation of like folding the paper and like the very idea of a ship that folds space and just like instantaneously goes elsewhere. Like that's a cool setup. I'm like, all right, I'm in. Right. The whole thing I'm talking about with like the speak English thing, though, that is for you, the audience yeah, who don't understand these things. In real life, those people would understand what he's talking about because they're fucking astronauts. Like, they would have to know these concepts to go into fucking space. Like, they wouldn't be like, speak English, egghead. I was thinking that. But, like, I don't know if, like, the doctor, if, like, a medical doctor who's, like, been assigned to a ship would have to have, like, a theoretical understanding of how black holes work. You know what I mean? It's just a lazy writer thing. That's my point. I think what it is is I like that. I like those scenes. I like the scene where someone goes, 
no, you're talking gibberish. Ta tell it to me like I'm in 12 years old, you know? And, uh, and he's like, well, here's how time travel works, right? Like, I, every movie does this. They have to do it because they have to explain the rules. You know what? Next time you get a job and you have some sort of, like, Gen Z tech genius that you have to deal with, <laughs> please say to them, speak English, will you? When they say something that you don't understand and see how that goes. Man, like, you're the nitpicky one on this episode. Somebody has to be. If you're not going to nitpick, then what choice do I have? You have to explain to the audience that the Event Horizon can warp to other locations. Like, you got to get that across somehow. Yeah, I like the explanation. I just think the cliches can go. That's fair. I, I guess it's just, like, much like, like, do you think the crew in Alien understand how, like, black hole time jumps work? I think the crew in Alien wouldn't say, speak English to somebody who is trying to explain it I to them. I think it's exactly the same. I think they're the equivalent of, like, like truckers. They're truckers on, on a spaceship. They'd have more of an excuse than these people would. Why? These people These people go rescue ships. Like, that's what they do. All the guys on Aliens do is haul, like, ore around. They wouldn't have to know this I stuff. will give you this, Sebastian. I think, th like, the people on this ship would be trained more than your standard, just, like, Earth-bound ambulance crew, right? And I do think you could have a character say something and said, like, I'm sorry, I followed some of that, but, like, I'm not totally getting you. Exactly. I. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that they should understand everything. I'm saying the way it's put in the script is a cliche. I've seen that exact line yes. delivered like 4,000 times in dumb science fiction movies. I agree. Whenever the smart person has to explain something, the gag is always they throw out all these technical terms and then some characters like, speak English, motherfucker. I agree. Again, it, it, it's very aggressive toward this dude who like, it's like everyone's being mean to him because, like, he, like, had a hard time being in cryosleep for 50-some days. And then, like, he's a scientist explain Like, he fucking built the most expensive ship ever. And, like, the first words in your mouth are like, speak English, motherfucker. You know what it's like? <laughs> this dude has done nothing wrong. I mean, yeah, at this point, he's done nothing wrong. So why are you being such a dick? <laughs> right? I, I, I agree. I don't really know why everyone's so angry at Sam Neill. Since we're talking about Sam Neill, though, I would like to say that I really enjoy Sam Neill's performance in this movie. When I was hosting Friday Night Frights with Josh Miller, who's still hosting it, one of our best moments was we had the Sam Neill Madness trilogy, and we had this movie, In the Mouth of Madness, and uh, Possession, because he like goes bonkers in all three movies, and um, it was super fun. I love it when Sam Neill goes crazy in a movie. And uh, this is no exception. He ends up kind of going nutty by the end. And his whole performance is really good. I you think. might not know this, but In the Mouth of Madness is maybe my favorite horror film of all time. Easily, easily in the top 10. And I'm pretty sure you guys did an episode about it. We did. And I didn't know that you loved it that much or I would have had you on. Now I am here to make up for it. You think this second tier <laughs> Sam Neill horror movie is going to do it? <laughs> but I do find it interesting that Two of my favorite horror movies star a Sam Neill who's going crazy and has visions of hell. They're kind of very similar in many ways. Totally. He ends up sort of scarred in this movie and he ends up scarred yep. in that movie. He's a great actor. I don't know. I mean, he's just he's just one of those guys who's got like that serious kind of look on his face. And like, I don't know, he feels like a movie star without having that like movie star vibe, you know? And like yeah. it doesn't it doesn't hurt that at this time he had just come off of you know three years earlier was Jurassic Park so like 
people knew Sam Neill, you know, people still know him, but like, no, I think he is great in this. And like, I, I like his, his general, like, he's kind of got this like creepy vibe in the movie that like goes even creepier as the movie goes along. I think he is the highlight of the film with Lawrence Fishburne in a close second, which would make sense being that they're the two leads. Yeah, and I totally agree. I also like Lawrence Fishburne a lot in this movie. His uh, captain's chair in the Lewis and Clark is yes. totally goofy. It's pretty ridiculous. It's this chair that like hangs from the ceiling for some reason. And you can tell like when they were designing this, they were like, oh, this would be a really cool idea. And it probably would have, but they clearly don't have the technology to make the chair function that well. So it just kind of wobbles. Yes. There. It's like, what's the advantage of this chair? Like I can move the chair that I'm in right now a lot easier than that chair. Especially since all the other chairs are just on the ground like normal chairs. So I did. I also <laughs> yeah. was like, why is his captain chair hang from the ceiling? There's a lot of why is this like this in this movie, but some of the stuff is just fun design. I appreciate that they're trying to do something interesting with a captain's chair and not just make it like the bridge of the Enterprise or whatever. And I mean, you know, definitely the production design in this movie is pretty like shadowy, dark lit stuff. Even the Lewis and Clark is kind of a little spooky looking you know once we get to the event horizon then we're in like haunted house territory but like maybe it would have been interesting if the lewis and clark looked a little more like star trek just because it would have been a contrast more because by the end of the movie we get them kind of running around a lot in both ships and there's points where i'm like wait are they back in the Lewis and Clark now, or are they still in the event horizon? It's a, gets a little hard for me to tell the two ships apart at a certain point. I agree with that. I, I mean, I agree with the fact that it gets hard to tell them apart. Again, I have nothing but really good things to say because I love the production design. I love the the ominous feeling of both ships. They kind of have this just like functional feel, you know, like where Star Trek is like, wouldn't it be nice if it was like glossy white hallways and stuff, right? But like, yeah. no, this is just like a fucking like, garbage can that's been held together. I mean, but a, a an expensive garbage can. But I also have thoughts that are like, could you even see walking around that ship? You know, like it feels a little, I mean, there are <laughs> lights and shit, but it feels like, especially the event horizon, like I'm going to chalk it up to the fact that like the power supply is down and the lights are flickering, but like, it does feel like you'd like a nice lit <laughs> environment. Like when you see, when you see real space, like space station video, you know, like people up in actual space, it's all like white and you can clearly there's like lights on and shit, right? The people yeah. who made the Lewis and Clark were like, nah, let's just let's just go for kind of like dark and impressive. Well, they're kind of taking a play out of the alien book. I mean, the Nostromo yep. looked yep. similar. Look, they're copying alien. I get it. They copied it. Okay. They didn't do it as good. Show over. Goodbye, everyone. Look, no, I'm going to agree with you, though. I do like the production design. Especially the event horizon. Come on. The event horizon itself is cool. All right, well, let's get to the event horizon. So they come upon the event horizon. You know, I know that this is not scientifically accurate, but somehow it's like it's in a decayed orbit around Neptune, they say, right? And yet it's somehow in a place where there's enough atmosphere where they can have thunder and lightning so that we get like this kind of haunted house vibe and you know i'm sure at that point all the science nerds are like excuse me that could never happen 
But honestly, for me, I kind of love it. I love that there's thunder and lightning around this thing. And they try to make some sort of half-assed explanation. And that's all I need from sci-fi, honestly. Like, if you give me just a half-assed explanation as to why something that could never happen is happening, I'll be like, okay, I like it. But the ship itself is very cool. It's got this really long kind of gantry that connects to the bridge to the back end of it. It was... Designed to look like Notre Dame, according to Paul W.S. Anderson. Yeah. I don't know how accurate that really is. Like, if you were trying to think of, like, oh, what would be kind of a cool haunted house in space kind of thing, I think that it it's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, when I look at pictures of Notre Dame, I don't really understand. Like, I don't get it. But other than I think they talked about the walkway that connects the two pieces. They wanted that to be, like, the main aisle of Notre Dame. But, like... Yeah. Isn't that how all churches are? Like a big long aisle, you know? <laughs> like Yeah, but in Notre Dame it's huge. Oh, is it? Okay. I think they're talking about the scale. But I look, I I also had the thought about the lightning. I was like, "Wait, are they like so are they in the upper atmosphere of Neptune or are they in space because they have like zero gravity and there's like um the whole airlock sequence and they have to wear helmets and shit?" But there's thunder and lightning. So I also had that thought, especially this viewing, where I was like, don't know if that makes sense, but I'm going to go with it. I think what it is is just this movie just has this, like, mood to it that I like. That's what I'm responding to. It's like this movie is taking itself very seriously, which if you've ever listened to me on any previous episode of this or my show, that's my thing. I want the movie to take itself seriously. And... I mean, there's like, yeah, there's like one joke in the whole movie. I think it's like the guy makes the joke about, do you want something hot and black inside of you? And that's it. I don't know if there's another joke to be made. And when you show up to the Event Horizon, we are not fucking around. This is a bad place to be. When I was watching it this time, I, I said to my wife, it kind of feels like the shining in space. And then I went and looked it up, and apparently that was the inspiration for it. And so yes. like in the same way that the shining has this the minute you get, I mean, you know it's bad because you saw the trailer and you're watching a horror movie. But the minute you get to the hotel, you're like, uh, this doesn't feel good, right? And that's what this movie does throughout that I think that maybe Paul Anderson is not so good at in his other films, right? Like the subtle, like, feeling. Yeah. So I'm with you is all I'm saying. But I'm just saying it in a longer way. Yeah, this movie has atmosphere. He creates an atmosphere. And I don't think you can really say that for any of his other movies. Like, it's got a palpable sort of vibe to it. And I appreciate that. And that's basically why I think this is more or less his best movie. Because I think that, you know, the production design and all that stuff pretty much works. And I think his horror movie instincts are pretty good overall, I would say. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, there's some, again, I'm older now, but I remember when I saw this in theaters, it like really was like unnerving. Like I might even be a little scared at one point. Like I just like was in the theater being like, man, I'm on, I'm like actually on the edge of my seat and nervous. And like that rarely happens anymore, you know? And it certainly doesn't right. happen watching Event Horizon because I've seen it now. But like bravo to him. Like I felt like he just made like this thing that, just is it's eerie it's eerie in a way that people are constantly trying to be eerie and they can't achieve it but this movie just i feel like they do it yeah it definitely gets under your skin a little bit the first time you see it and if if a horror movie can do that then i think it deserves some props because that's kind of really the whole mission statement let's talk a little bit about the interior of the ship because it gets pretty wild in terms of its design yes. i mean 
we have this scene where the character, uh, probably my third favorite character in this film, um, the Kathleen Quinlan character, Peters, is walking through the bridge. They send her in in a spacesuit at first. And this movie's got good spacesuits. I enjoy spacesuits in movies. This was back in the day when you have to actually wear glass in your helmet, your spacesuit helmet, because now whenever you see somebody wearing a spacesuit helmet, it's CG glass because they don't want to get the reflection of the camera in the glass. So yeah. if you watch older movies, you notice like they don't usually turn the helmet right at the camera because you'd see the camera in the reflection. Anyway, she goes through the bridge and we see like there's splattered corpses everywhere at one point like a floating dead body bumps into her and we should say there's some like early cg zero gravity effects going on here like when we first go into the big hallway in the event horizon they've got like floating bottles and stuff and it actually looks fine for what it is it's you know 90 cg but it doesn't look that bad yeah i mean you know you notice it's cg but it's totally fine. It it holds up. It's not goofy looking, but you definitely are like that bottle floating there is definitely CG. At one point, the youngest character, uh, Justin, who they also called Baby Bear, as played by Jack Noseworthy, um, he's wandering around in another part of the ship and there's like coolant leaking everywhere. So we get like watery coolant Terminator types of effects there. The big horror scare that we get is that the Peters, the Kathleen Quinlan character, bumps into like this mutilated corpse yes. of what I think was the captain of the ship originally, right? Or is it just a corpse? I actually don't know who that body is. It wouldn't be surprising if it was the captain, right? Maybe they say it at the beginning of the movie and I missed it. Do they ever say how many people were on the Event Horizon? No, all we get is that weird transmission that Jason Isaacs kind of deciphers that's got the Latin in it, and he thinks that it's saying, save me. Yeah, uh, liberate me. So, like, because the Event Horizon's a pretty big ship, I mean, I guess really just the front half is where people would live, but I was sort of like, where did everyone go, right? Like, I know that there's one dead body, and maybe there's, like, another dead body still in a cryo tank in the background in one scene but besides that where are the bodies right okay well there's bodies spattered up against the wall you see like what appears to be like i don't know three or four just like totally almost atomized blood stains with yes. some bone matter yeah. in them okay and also i just assume we do see later we see video of the original crew going like crazy and like killing each other and in that video, which is hard to sort of decipher, but I don't know, you, it looks like there's at least a crew of, what, 10 or 15 people, probably. Sure. I just assume that some of them end up in hell or all, most of them end up in hell or something. I don't know. That didn't bother me. I can easily come up with reasons why we don't see more bodies. I, it doesn't, it's not that it bothers me. It's just, I am curious. And I, I don't remember if a character says... Where is everyone, you know? Regardless, uh, I, I guess I, in my mind, it's just like, it's weird to think of hell as a place where your physical body could go, right? Because it's like, I thought, it's like, you whatever. But that's the premise of the film. But yeah, I think the first actual scare, not counting the stuff that Sam Neill's dreaming about, is, yeah, she bumps into the body. I think that's a good, it's a good scare, you know? 
I like that once they turn the gravity back on, that body like falls to the ground and like breaks into a million pieces because yes. it's like frozen in the vacuum of space. That's a nice touch. I love that. And I think another really good effect is when the floating globs of liquid, when the gravity turns on and they all come splashing down. Yeah. I actually was wondering how they achieved that because the water that comes down or whatever is oil or whatever, like that is real liquid. They're clear. That's not CG. That's clearly liquid, you know? So I was wondering how they achieve that because the floating glob is CG. I assume right. there's just like a guy with a bucket and they pour it and then they edit him out or something. Probably, yeah. On the making of, uh, they were talking about how in the script, you know, it's like zero G the whole time. And then they quickly yeah. realize like, well, that's gonna be a pain in the ass to shoot. And that's why they like come up with like grav boots or whatever they are, like magnet yeah. magnet boots. Black Hole did the same thing. Black Hole did wanted they? to be zero G the whole time. And they came up with another reason why they weren't in zero G. But yeah, same I've thing. I've never seen the Black Hole. So all of your references will be lost. But I believe you. It's more for the listeners because sure. they will have just heard our Black Hole episode. Don't help me out. Help your listeners out. But I get it. It's like we need everyone to be able to walk around and take their helmets off. So let's get the let's just get the gravity on and they turn, you know, like that's all cool. I I again, I think they do a good job of setting up the general geography of of the event horizon and like man, it's scary as fuck. Even if that ship had not gone to hell, I don't think I'd want to be there. It is scary as fuck, but we do need to talk about the drive, the gyroscopic drive. I mean, this is kind of the most iconic image, I would Mm -hmm. say, from the movie. It's essentially this big sphere that sits in this big spherical room, and it's got like three rings around it that sort of move at different speeds. And Sam Neill explains that when the rings all are in the same place. Then the drive opens and it basically opens what is essentially a black hole or a wormhole in space. And that's how this ship can theoretically travel further than a light speed drive could take it. This thing is very cool looking. However, the room that it is in is also cool looking. It reminds me a little bit of like Professor X's chamber or whatever that he uses in X-Men where he can see all the mutants or whatever. I forget what that room is called. You know, it's like a big circular room, but it's got like giant spikes coming out of the wall. Yeah. I mean, it looks like something Pinhead would have designed or whatever. I mean, and there's a lot of Hellraiser in this movie. I think this movie definitely feels more like a Hellraiser in space than hellraiser bloodlines which we also covered yeah we did you're right yeah uh according to imdb apparently clive barker like gave some input during pre-production or he helped out oh okay i certainly don't see his name maybe his name is in like the final credits somewhere but like it's certainly very little has to do with clive barker but like he had something to do with the film and everything about the gravity drive especially when it like opens up and shit yeah this is very strong hellraiser vibes I love the look of this room. I, part of me goes, yeah, what's with all the spikes? And like, why, you know, like, like it does sort of, I do kind of want to say like, hey, Sam Neill, like, why did you make your ship so fucking scary and oppressive? Like when you designed it, right? Yeah. But I also like just sort of chalk it up to like, it has something to do with the science, right? Like those, the room needs to be that big and have those shapes because it can, you know, bends magnetism and contains. It needs to be the most terrifying room that we can possibly think of yes. for science. Yes. 
those spikes need to be there because they like hold back waves of you know neutrons or whatever i don't know sure yeah it's like i'm aware that it looks a little goofy because why would you why would it look like that why is there like a pool of water on the ground and like yeah these spikes that are literally there to impale people so that it can be filled with blood later yes but it's also like i just gonna go along with it because that's you know, like if, if Sam, if there was a scene where someone said, Dr. Weir, why does it look like this? And he was like, you wouldn't understand it. It's science. You know, I'd be like, all right. It's funny. You're really cutting this movie a lot of slack. Or as I feel, if we were talking about a movie you didn't like, you'd be eviscerating it for being this illogical. I, I mean, I see what you're saying. Again, it, it doesn't help that I really love this movie. But like. Like when they first go into the room, right? They have to walk down that spinning tunnel, which, like, you—if you've ever gone to a fun house, you basically have walked down that bath, right? Right, but it looks like a spinning tunnel that's a meat grinder. Right, one of them even that makes that uh, observation. And so, yeah, he 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 makes a comment about it, and he sort of asks, like, "What's with this funky tunnel?" And Sam Neill gives an explanation of like it's so that you don't disrupt the magnetic field when you go sure. into the room. From that point forward, it's like the minute I see that spinning tunnel. My first thought, my very first thought, even rewatching it, was that's a little silly looking. Like, why would you build a meat grinder tunnel in your spaceship? <laughs> like, I get that, but it is addressed, right? Like, he straight up says that's what it does, and I go with it because I'm like, all right, those things have to be shaped that way to do whatever they're doing. And the same with the big, the big core, right? Like, the I have no problem with what the ball looks like or the way it spins around. I do think the spikes on the wall are weird, but like. Is it really any different than like those sound booths that are like made of little like pointy styrofoam spikes? Yes, it is different. I'm looking at some of that stuff right now in my room and it's definitely does not feel like spikes coming out. <laughs> These are like three to five foot long spikes coming out of a wall. Look, I like it. It's cool. I think it's cool. I'm just giving you a hard time because if this was not Event Horizon we were talking about, you would say this is the dumbest thing you've ever seen no there are things in the movie that i i will nitpick when we get to them i just like don't have any nitpicks up to this point i think the movie is is doing what it's supposed to do i agree with you i agree i think it's a fun spooky space movie up to this point and i like all of this stuff i'm just pointing out that there's you know some serious lapses of logic seemingly going on here but i'm with you like like i said if they just threw in a line that explained it that would be enough for me that's all i need i don't even need that i like the way the room looks it's cool but it is kind of silly that it's so scary looking <laughs> i mean yeah like like no one would look at that room and say i feel good about this <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I i would wonder why someone would say like can't we put some blue paint in here like can't we like like why does it have to look so fucking terrifying dr weir you know and then dr weir is like so no one goes in here you idiot like i don't want like it's dangerous i guess right i will say i think what it is is it looks really alien but it's designed by a guy from earth right and so that's kind of weird and you're right i think the fact that i just look at it i think it's cool overrides any logic to it right but also there's like I don't know in my in my head canon I just assume those I'm looking at a picture of it I assume those spikes like they never show this unfortunately but I just assume they like line up with the sphere and create like electrical volts and shit but I think if they gave a reason why the spikes are there it would work better but I just assume like that's you know whatever all right so let's talk a little bit about what happens here when Justin 
gets too close to this thing because I honestly find this a little confusing. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. I get that we need some kind of event to happen that's going to cripple the Lewis and Clark. Like, you just need that as a plot. Otherwise, they can just leave. So their ship has to get crippled. But it's like he goes up to this gravity drive and it just starts to activate for some reason. I don't know, because the devil turned it on in the other end of it or something. And then this, like shock wave blows him away and it goes all throughout the halls and into the ship it's very vague as to what's going on here do you fully understand this sequence no this is one of the things that i will i will admit that nitpicking is not the right word but like i get what's happening here in my heart but not in my mind right here's the way i look at it the ship has already gone to hell and come back it is now like an evil ship and it is alive and the characters basically yeah. say that. So I'm not point. bothered that the machine turns on by itself. Like, that makes sense, right? And it is surprising that, like, I believe at this point he has been told, like, this is, like, basically makes a black hole. And then he sees this giant, like, again, like, it basically turns into, like, a portal to, like, a black goo. Yeah. And I am a little surprised that he doesn't say, like, hey, guys, the machine is turning on and, like, I'm looking at, like, weird shit here. But I'll also chalk this up to just sort of like he's mesmerized by like, you know, evil has his mind or whatever. And he's like, I want to I want to touch it. Then there's like an explosion. He gets fully sucked in, right? Yes, he gets fully. Right. Sucked and in. then I think uh, Lawrence Fishburne pulls him out or someone pulls him out with the cord. It doesn't really make sense why there'd be this like shockwave that. But again, I just I guess I chalked it up to imagine if the ship worked normally and it was able to warp somewhere. I imagine it gives off some kind of energy thing that the room, like the room is supposed to like absorb. Yeah. But like in this case, the door is open or something and you're right. It makes very, it, it makes very little sense. But I think because the whole thing is like when you bring hell into it, I can't logic police it because it gets hell. Like, who knows what kinds of weird shit goes on there, right? Sure, yeah. And you're going to have to employ that sort of thinking throughout a lot of the movie because later on, you know, characters just clearly go walking into situations that they know they shouldn't. But we have to just assume that they're in some sort of trance or something like that, which is fine. You know, the whole kind of horror mechanism that's going to start happening here is that everybody, well, not everybody, but certain characters are going to start to get haunted by things that they feel guilt about. In the case of the Peters character, she's a mom and she has a son at home who's disabled. And so she keeps having these visions of him. At one point she sees him in the med lab and he's got like maggots on his legs. Later on, she's going to see him like running around in the ship and go follow him to her death, basically. And the, uh, Lawrence Fishburne character, Captain Miller, sees this guy on fire, who I think is kind of the lamest of the ghosts, honestly. I don't find him scary. He's some soldier, because the captain used to be a soldier, and he let this guy die at some mission, and so now he's haunted by seeing him on fire. And Sam Neill's obviously haunted by his wife. None of the other characters seem to be haunted by anything. So I guess they just were awesome people that never did anything wrong. So but. that that is a nitpick I, I do have. I think it's weird to set up that the ship shows you, like, it torments you with visions of whatever you, you know, whatever you feel bad about. But it doesn't for everyone. Like, I feel like it's a missed opportunity. 
if the movie was longer, I bet that they would have covered that. But yeah, yeah it just feels like, well, these other characters don't really matter that much. So even though two of them are going to be the survivors of the movie or three of them rather, but yeah, we really only get three characters who are haunted by something they feel guilty about. Yeah. Again, part of that is just the pace at which the movie moves. I just feel like everything could use a little more breathing room at times, you know? But I also, like, I'm like, that may, that sounds like what hell would do, right? Like, like if, if a portal yeah. to hell opened in my basement, I imagine it would start showing me things I don't want to see. Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. I just think it's weird that it, only certain characters get affected by this. And then other characters just get affected by scary things that happen. They don't even have a character say, like, Oh, yeah, like in an off screen scene, I saw my my dead dog <laughs> or whatever. Um, it does seem like a couple of the characters, like the blonde woman, Jolie Richardson, right? Like she's clearly aware that this is a bad ship, but like she's not like I saw a ghost or anything. I mean, we're going to get a little bit of that sort of horror movie thing where some characters understand that there's a supernatural thing going on because the Cooper character was actually the one who rescued uh, baby bear from the. Yes, sphere. that's right. And he sees something when he rescues him, he sees like visions of hell or he sees that it's like this weird portal or something like right. that. And he's like, I saw something and they get into this argument where Sam Neill's character is like, no, that couldn't have happened. That's impossible, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, they pretty much almost come to blows over this. You know, it's just that scene in the horror movie where somebody says something supernatural happened and people don't believe them. Yeah. And I mean, I will say, like, I'm not really sure. Like, at this point, it feels like Sam Neill is like, how to put this? Is he like, I don't believe you. I think you are crazy. Or is he, like, protecting the ship? This is one of the major flaws of the movie, in my opinion, is Sam Neill's turn to evil Sam Neill is really hard to track. Yep, this is my number one note. I agree with you. There's a cool scene where he goes into this, like, ventilator shaft that runs out of the the drive area, right? I don't know, to fix something. Some piece has blown out or whatever. And so he's in this like ventilator shaft and it's like this green vent with like, it looks like the insides of computer chips or the walls and stuff. It's a pretty cool looking design. And, you know, we get this scary scene and I remember this, this was the jump scare that got me the most when I first saw the movie, when, you know, he starts to hear his wife whispering to him and the lights are kind of going off and on you know a jump scare is coming but you're not sure exactly when it's going to come and then at one point the lights go on and you see the dead wife with no eyes like right there so i kind of feel like the movie's kind of trying to tell us like okay this is where he starts to go full evil but i'm not sure it's just not clear at one point he sits in like the captain's chair of the event horizon and just kind of like looks evil so i'm kind of like is that where he's turning full evil but you just don't know it's like he's in denial for a chunk of the movie and then he's just full evil and he's like the ship has gone to hell <laughs> yeah it's like in the shining it's like that's taking place over like a whole winter and you can sort of like track jack nicholson slipping right like you you feel it oh yeah in this movie it's like I mean, Sam Neill, right from the start, kind of gives off creepy vibes, like even before he gets to the Event Horizon, just in this like, 
I don't the fact that he's I guess he's just not sleeping well, but like it, I don't think he's up to anything bad, and yet his character comes across like he has a secret mission or something. Am I wrong? No, like I'm not saying he has a secret mission. There's just there's like this vibe like he's not telling something, right? But then he gets there. And I mean, I guess from his perspective, he's just like, I want to do anything to save this ship because like it's my baby, right? And I want to find out what happened to it. But from the minute he steps onto it, he's acting kind of weird. And then suddenly, yeah, he goes in the, t- I mean, you're right. I think he goes in there. Isn't that, doesn't she grab him then in the, in the green tunnel? Like there's a moment where he officially is like taken over or whatever. Is that the moment when they, he's in the ventilator? I, I mean, I'm asking you. I just watched it last night. You think I'd remember? <laughs> I just watched it today, and I can't. I don't think there is a moment. There's not a clear moment where it's like, now I have you, Like where the ship is like, I have you now, Sam Neill. There's no moment like that. Well, he gets his eyes gouged out, right? He Like, oh, yes, because you see him gouging his own eyes out. Yes, but by that time, he's already kind of gone crazy. It doesn't feel gradual. That, yeah. I said the same thing to my wife when we were watching the movie. I was like, it just feels like Sam Neill loses his mind like in one hour. Like he just snaps and then he becomes like a demon monster. It works in that like I get it way. Like I get what happened, right? It feels at odds with the kind of pacing that he's trying to set up. Like this creepy moody thing. There's no scenes where they're like, you know, Weir's acting weird. You know, keep an eye on him, that kind of thing. It's just like he goes down a hall and then suddenly the next time you see him, he's like sitting in a captain's chair with his eyes like sewn shut, you know? I'm willing to bet that's an editing issue so. because like this movie was like edited really fast. Apparently they were hoping that Titanic was going to come out that summer and then it got delayed until Christmas. And so the only movie that the studio had was Event Horizon. So they basically forced paul anderson to rush it through editing and then you know they did test screenings and the original cut was too long and too gory and people didn't like it so they made him cut it way down i bet it would feel a lot more natural if it was a little longer and there was just a few more scenes with i think him. that's exactly what it is like i like the idea of sam neill going crazy and i guess becoming a demon whatever it just i think that's one of the problems the movie has is, is it does feel it feels rushed i i totally agree with you Let's just talk a little bit about the gore and stuff in the movie. Yeah. You're a gore hound. Uh, how do you feel about I mean, it? I love it. I, lo- I mean, look, yeah, I love gore. I think most people know, but maybe they don't, that they shot a lot of, like, hell footage for this movie that has apparently just been lost to time, you know? Like, I guess yeah. Paul Anderson said that, like, I mean, I'm not sure, like, when DVD started really going heavy on, like, extra features and shit, but apparently it wasn't quite in 1997, so yeah. all this stuff was cut from the film and then like, you know, put in a box or whatever and destroyed or shipped to some place. And they, and, and to this day, 27 years later, people want are like begging to see the original cut of it. Apparently, when they showed it to Paramount executives, the, the original cut, apparently some people like passed out, which I don't know if that's really true or not. I That sounds apocryphal. I have such a hard time believing an adult who's like works at a movie studio is like, oh, and they like pass down their chair, like, come on, Shelly, wake up. Like, I'm sorry. It was just, it was so violent, you know? Apparently, they had a separate soundstage where like a second unit was just filming hell sequences for like days, right? And they apparently hired like porn stars and amputees to yeah. like really make it look crazy when they were getting their arms ripped off and like make it really graphic and sexual. And 
my gut instinct is always I want to see that. I kind of just want to watch a 90 minute movie where it's just that, right? Where it's just the 90 minutes of like what happened to the the crew. But I do think I think Paul Anderson said this in an inter- interview, but basically like there is a moment when if you make it too graphic, you actually stop being scary and you just start being gross, right? And you yeah. sacrifice the fear. And I think that's why this movie works so well in my book is that it shows just enough for you to feel like that's what hell would look like. Those fucking flash frames of like people like bound to like spikes with their like arms like held up and shit. Like it's so Hellraiser. I fucking love it. And I think that's what takes this movie over the edge from just like a spooky ship movie to like, no, we're serious. Like I'm going to say, I think that is in my mind, the best visual representation of what hell would be like in any movie. I just feel like the way they portray hell in Event Horizon feels authentic for a thing that it may or may not be real. With Hellraiser, I mean, you don't really see hell in part one. And part two, I think Hellraiser 2 is very cool. I just think hell looks a little weird in part two. Like, it's cool, but it's very empty. And it's just a big maze. Like, I don't know. I mean, I like what you see in this. I just don't know if there's enough of it to really get a sense of what it's supposed to be. Well, let me put it this way. It's maybe not what hell i don't know if hell is a place that you can see or whatever but like it feels like that's what hell would be like i feel like hell would cause you to like pull your eyes out and have a the i think it's referred to as the blood orgy is what happens to the original crew Uh and if you go through and you freeze frame like when when sam neill is showing Lawrence fishburne visions of hell which i'm sure you've i don't need to i have the internet they've got it all just (laughs) an image search will give it all to you tell me how do you feel do you not think it's awesome I like it. I don't know if awesome would be the word I would use. It's good. There's just not enough of it for me to really get a full grasp on it. I agree with Paul W.S. Anderson that, you know, if you go too far, it's too far. But I feel like it could just use a little more. I agree with you. I want more. I just don't know if it would add anything because, like, the images are there. You can, like, you get it. I mean, look, my answer is always going to be give me more gore. So, yeah, I just don't know if it would add anything other than just, like... Here's what I'll say about it, is that from what I can tell, and this is all I mean, it's not even so much about seeing more gore, is it just, it just seems like a bunch of people in a spaceship ripping each other apart, the flashes that I see. Like, I don't feel like I see another dimension or anything. I just see people in a spaceship doing horrible things to each other in flashes. Maybe there is something more in there and I just didn't catch it because it's so fast. But like, at least in Hellraiser, I feel like you get flashes of another dimension. I get that. Like, no, you don't see hell. It's all still just like the interior of the ship and all the scenes. My thinking is like they warp to hell and like hell came on board the ship essentially. Yeah, and that's a legitimate interpretation and maybe yeah, that's what hell is. It's just wherever you are just horrible, you know. Like, you've been around for a while. I mean, you've seen a lot of movies. Have you ever seen hell depicted better than in this movie? Well, yeah, the black hole. They go to hell in the black hole? Spoiler, yes. What? Yes. What really? Yes. No fucking way. Now I got it. Now I got to go watch this movie. Really? They go to hell? They do. You know what? I like the depiction of Helen recently. Did you watch the Sandman series? Oh, I've not. I haven't seen There's it. a whole episode that takes place in hell. And if you've ever read the Sandman comics, it's pretty much the way it's depicted in the comics. But I like that depiction of hell. 
You know, I like a kind of classical hell with like medieval kind of castles, but like fire everywhere. And like, I like a Renaissance Hieronymus Bosch version of hell. Like, I like it to be a little classy, you know? Funny because Hieronymus Bosch was one of the painters who influenced the look of the hell tortures in this movie. Yes, but if you've ever actually looked at Hieronymus Bosch's paintings, like that dude had a fucked up imagination. I mean, he makes these creatures that are just like weird and terrifying looking like. I'll give you that. I would love if in Red Horizon had a couple flashes of like a giant slug monster swallowing a manhole. Yeah. I guess like a dude strung up with like pitchforks. I mean, pitchforks a little on the nose. (laughs) And a little red bearded (laughs) devil man with a cape. (laughs) Could you imagine if in the middle of this like super serious space movie, they open the portal and like the red devil comes out with his red pitchfork and like the goatee and he's like, hello. (laughs) What would you do if you died tonight and went to hell? And that's what it was. (laughs) A guy in like red tights and a pitchfork. <laughs> I would have so many questions where I'd be like, they really nailed it, huh? Like, how did you tell someone back in like the 20s what you look like and that's how they did it? Or <laughs> Also, like, is there any chance that like maybe I just like don't get tortured? Is that even like on? Is that a possibility? I really would not be down for a, like an eternity of torture. That just feels... <laughs> so unpleasant (laughs) i figured you'd get used to it after a while yeah look i remember even even when i saw this back in the day being like just wish they showed me a little bit more of what happened just a little bit more i'm i don't disagree with you and god i wish someone could track down that missing footage and show it to me but alas yeah it's too bad apparently there's like a vhs version just probably taken off of the you know, monitor cams or whatever they use. So there is like a cut or it's actually the, his assembly cut, but it was just put on VHS or something. So there is a VHS of it, but it's not usable as like a feature film. I mean, apparently there, yeah, I, again, you never can tell who's truthful or what on the internet, but apparently like one of the producers does have this VHS tape, but like, I guess vinegar syndrome approached them. I think it was vinegar syndrome and like wanted to, do a remaster of it and like he wouldn't give it up i don't know it's like on the one hand it's like look the film was released as is this is the film and like a lot of that stuff was cut for a reason but also i don't know let me have it let me see it let me let me fucking see it you know don't hide it also this comes from a different time like it's very hard for me to go back in my mind and like this is pre-hostile this is pre-saw right like obviously there were violent films like scream had just come out the year before this right but like we now live in a different time where like saw movies go so fucking far, right? Like you watch people like amputate their own legs while they're screaming and shit. And like, it's not like, like, there's so many movies I can watch if I just want to watch gore happen. But at the time, this still felt very violent, but it does feel like they could have taken it a bit further. Like there's, there's moments in this movie where it's like when Kathleen Quinlan just like falls down and dies, like that's how she dies. She just, falls okay well her legs get busted up pretty badly that scene always kind of weirded me out i mean i like it she basically sees her kid running around in the room with the drive in it and then she follows him into these like hallways and up these stairs and he basically like you know tricks her into running into some open space and then falling down back into the chamber with this drive isn't it and she 
death by fall, apparently. Yeah, her legs are smashed up really bad, so that's kind of gory. I don't remember her legs being smashed up. I just remember she, like, hits and there's, like, that impact. But, like, because she's Kathleen Quinlan, like, she's going to be a bigger part of the story. No, she just, like, dies, like, I mean, not the halfway point, but she's one of the first people to die. It's near the end. It's nearer to the end. That's, I guess just, like, at the end of the film, it ramps up and everyone's dying in the space of, like, 15 minutes. Well, only really uh, three characters die, though. Oh, no, four, because the pilot gets blown up when Sam Neill puts the bomb on the ship. Which I thought was kind of a lame death because it's like, that's not scary. That's like an action movie death. Yeah, it's not all, it's not, I mean, it is Sam Neill, like, it's like they're back to the same problem of why can't they just escape on the original ship? Yes, because they fixed the ship, they patched up the hole in it, and they're about to take off again. And so he's got to blow up the ship so that they can't. I think it would be a better, it'd be better if, like, if you saw Sam Neill kill that dude with, like, a knife or something, or just fucking gouge his eyes out, and then blows up the ship or whatever. Yes. I do like the moment where he's frantically searching, and he opens, like, Yeah, it's a good moment, and you see the look on his face. That actor is actually Sean Pertwee, who is the son of John Pertwee, who is a Doctor Who in the 70s, who I liked a lot. Oh, no way. Yep. He's also in Dog Soldiers, if you've ever seen that movie. I have. Ah, that's okay. Yeah, that's where I recognize him. Well, so he dies. He gets blown up. Kathleen Quinlan falls to her death. Jason Isaacs, he gets the best death of the film. Yes. Let's talk about his death. This is when Sam Neill goes full crazy. It's a little hard. I mean, man, I watched this less than 12 hours ago. (laughs) I watched it less than two hours ago. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. I don't remember what comes first. When does it happen when they go into the control room and Sam Neill's like sitting in the chair with his eyes sewn shut? I'm pretty sure it's after he kills Jason Isaacs. Okay. Because they come into the room and you see Jason Isaacs' body all like splayed up and cut open with all his guts on the ground or whatever. Basically, yeah, he grabs him, he like pulls his shirt open, and then it is implied that he like uses a scalpel to like dissect Jason Isaacs and then... In a very Clive Barker thing, yeah, they come in and he's like hanging from hooks and he's been like butterflied open face down with his entrails hanging out. That's pretty gnarly. I think cinematically it looks really cool. I think they could be a, they could have shown a little bit more. I think his death is a little off screen. Yeah. Apparently in the original, I don't know, cut, he was about, he's like so alive or in the script maybe. Like he like his head raises up and he tells, he asks Lawrence Fishburne to like kill him and then Lawrence Fishburne shoots him or something. I don't know. Okay. Both Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne die, too. I mean, most more people die in this movie than don't. Yeah, but we don't get a lot of, like, horror movie deaths, really. Yeah. Lawrence Fishburne just dies when the ship blows up, and Sam Neill... Di- Sam Neill dies twice. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, at the scene where they come in, and he's, like, sitting in the chair, and his face is all scarred up, and he's gouged out his eyes, he stupidly shoots at the window. There's this creepy window that's like a crucifix window. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is another sort of inexplicable, it just looks creepy kind of thing. When the Lewis and Clark exploded, the Cooper character got shot off into space in his spacesuit, and then he uses his air tank to fly back to the event horizon, which is highly improbable, but whatever, we'll just go there. <laughs> that I will nitpick, Sebastian. That is goofy as fuck, okay? He's like, come on, motherfucker, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he's like on a piece of, is it shrapnel? Whatever, a piece of the ship has exploded, and he's like just spinning through space away from the planet. He's like, I'll use my jetpack, and you're right, his line is something like, let's do this, motherfucker, and it's yeah. so 
that's the moment where I was like, that is the stereotypical like 90s black character. It's a little much. Exactly. And dude, not to be nerdy, but like if you like were rotating at, like that in space and you just like used your fucking jetpack. No, he doesn't use his jetpack. He uses what's left of his air. So if he like fucks that up, he's definitely immediately dead. Yes. <laughs> like just the way physics work in space. You could only go in one direction, but your yeah. body would still be impacted by all the spinning. And there's no way he would ever have made it back. No. Like the way he should have died is we should have just cut to him choking to death in his suit in the dead, cold space. That is goofy as fuck. And it's so dumb. There's the Rodney moment for my little rant. They should have just given him a wire that he holds on to or something like that. It's too much. It's too goofy for this movie. That's the thing. It's way too much. Yeah. Like if they made it plausible in some way, then fine. But the way it's done in the movie is like, this is just silly. But my point is he comes back to the ship in that cross window. And then Sam Neill's got like this crazy like gun or whatever. And the Lawrence Fishburne character is like, don't shoot the windows or whatever. And Sam Neill like stupidly shoots the window. And then, you know, because it's space, the window blows out and he gets like sucked out. So you like kind of think at that point, like, well, there goes Sam Neill into space. Did Sam Neill get sucked out? Is that what happened? Yes. Oh. Yes. And then at the very end, he comes up out of the water in the pool and he now he's like full Cenobites, Sam Neill or whatever. Right. You know, like a shaved head and he's all carved up or whatever. And he's got his eyes back. That was apparently not the original ending. I believe right. that's a reshoot or something. Because people were like, why isn't Sam Neill coming back at the end? Because originally it was just the guy on fire that's been haunting Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, originally in the first cut, Lawrence Fishburne, or maybe it was the second cut. What this The film we have watched is the third cut of the film, or at least the third, you know, like they did two test screenings first, right? And apparently in, I guess, the second one, he fights, yeah, like the, the dude who's on fire. So he's like, he's fighting his past demons or whatever. Yeah. And... Much like you said, like, you don't care about Fire Dude, and neither do I. People were like, I'm sorry, what? Why does the movie end with him fighting this ghost dude, right? Uh, we're jumping all over. But let me tell you another thing that I'll, I'll nitpick the fuck out of since we're talking about this scene. They blow out the the weird cross window, which I agree. I imagine, I would love for there to just be a scene where it's a flashback and Sam Neill's like, and so then we're going to put in this window that looks like a crucifix. Yeah. And they're like, why do we need that, Dr. Weir? And he's like... Because it looks fucking creepy. Why? <laughs> I mean, have you seen my designs for the core? Like, everything. Look at the morgue. The whole ship's got to look creepy. This like, ship needs to look like Dracula could comfortably live here. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, all the air is being sucked out of the cockpit. And, like, Lawrence Fishburne is, like, holding on to shit. You've seen this film, this scene in all kinds of movies. It's like people are being pulled out into space. Yes. And, like, Lawrence Fishburne, like, goes through a little doorway and, like, the door starts to close, and he sees the blonde woman, Jolie Richardson, like, crawling. She's hanging on to something. And he's, like, trying to, like, prop the door open. And he's like, give me your hand. But, like, he no longer seems affected by the pool of gravity, right? He, he's just like, if you could just make it over the door threshold, you'll be fine. And she's, like, dangling by a desk. And I'm like, why would he not also still be getting sucked forward? Well, and an ex exacerbating this is the fact that, like, 30 minutes earlier, we've had this whole scene where the Jack Noseworthy character we comes out of his yes. trance. This scene is one of the most disturbing, I feel like, in the whole movie. I love movie. this. This scene's great. Yes. So he basically is in sort of a semi-trance now, and he walks into an airlock, 
and he's basically programming the airlock to open and that he's going to just get sucked out into space, effectively killing himself. And, you know, we've got the Kathleen Quinlan character who has a real kind of mother-son relationship with this guy. She calls him Baby Bear because he's the youngest. And she's like, you know, banging on the window, like, don't do it, don't do it. And like the Jack Noseworthy character like turns to her it's in this semi trance or whatever. And he's like, if you had seen what I'd seen, you wouldn't try to stop me, you know, implying that he's seen hell and it's so horrible that he just wants to die. He wants to blow himself out of the airlock. But then he sort of comes to and realizes what he's done. And the airlock is like on a timer. So it's like counting down, which doesn't make any sense. But whatever. Yeah. We'll let that go. (laughs) I'm pretty sure the first thing you install in your airlocks is like an immediate shutdown button. And it goes on a timer that you can't stop so that you (laughs) just like know you've made a mistake (laughs) and you have to watch it count down and you can't do anything about it. Like, shouldn't you be able to stop that timer? Isn't that the whole point? of having a timer there so you could stop it <laughs> you give everyone you give people 30 seconds to let them know there's about 30 seconds for the you're gonna die <laughs> there's nothing you can do Where, <laughs> where's the button that turns it off oh i'm not putting one of those in i just if you're if you're dumb enough to have gone in the airlock and turned it on then i want you to have 30 seconds to think about what an idiot you are <laughs> it is a really weird design that, like, there's just, like, no way to stop it. Well, not only that, there's no way to stop it, but then once, like, Lawrence Fishburne is, like, coming at him from outside the ship, and he's gonna, like, basically, Jack Noseworthy, like, has to, like, crunch into a ball. But it's fucked up, because you see, like, his veins starting to, like, expand, yeah. and blood's coming out of his eye sockets and stuff, which that idea just, ugh, that gives me the heebie-jeebies, like, thinking about, like, my veins becoming depressurized and, like blood spurting out of my orifices like not a fun idea (laughs) the blood would just start pouring out of you (laughs) i think it's done pretty well in the movie i mean obviously they're using cg special effects to do it but you know for the time it looks pretty good and it gives me the heebie-jeebies then the door opens and like jack noseworthy starts to come out and then Lawrence Fishburne grabs him and goes back inside the airlock. And then when he does that, the door just closes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like it's got a motion sensor or something. It's like, oh, cl- better close that. I don't want anyone to get oh, hurt. Oh, well, if you're coming in from the outside, <laughs> then, it, then you can close it again. Then it's fine. Like, who designed this airlock door? I've always had a weird love-hate relationship with this scene because it's really tense and it's really terrifying when the guy realizes when he like wakes up and realizes, oh no, like, I'm about to die. And like one of the worst ways possible. And I like it's cut really well with like Lawrence Fishburne like working fast to like get back there. And I technically understand that you could survive a few seconds in not just zero G, but like in the vacuum of space. Yeah. Yet it still feels ridiculous that this dude survives this, right? How long would you, I'd have to go back in time. It's like five to 10 seconds that he's exposed to space. I feel like he would just be fucking dead. Like, I, I guess he's quite fucked up when they get him back in. Yeah, the weird thing is, why do they keep the character alive? I mean, I think it's just to show Lawrence Fishburne doing something really heroic, you know? And if he didn't save him, then I guess we wouldn't feel 
that he was as much of a hero. That's the only reason I can think of story-wise why you wouldn't just kill this character because he's effectively out of the movie. Like, we see a dummy in, like, a stasis tube. Yes, yes. supposed to be him, and they're talking about him like, well, he's he lived, he's not going to be pretty, but he survived. So the character technically lives to the end of the movie, but for all intents and purposes, he's out of the story now. I guess it's just to give Lawrence. I mean, Lawrence Fishburne has a heroic moment at the end of the movie. I think they needed to give him a heroic moment so that we'd be on his side. It's a save the cat. Yeah, I don't know, but like, I, I don't. It's not. It's not like I wasn't sure if I liked Lawrence Fishburne until this moment. And I was like, oh, I do. Like I'm not it, saying you know? it's good. I'm just saying that's probably why it's there because I can't think of another reason why you would let this character live. I don't know. Uh, like, I get it. It's like. There's no rule that says everyone has to live or die, right? Like in this story, two people survive and one dude barely survives, right? I don't know. It'd be more satisfying if like he got him back in there and then he just died of blood loss an hour later or whatever, you know? I guess it bugs me that he doesn't die. That's what it comes down to. Like the more people that die in your horror film, the better. That's how I feel. Is there any other scenes that you think we haven't talked about that are notable? We should definitely talk about the recording, Tutorat, whatever, like Liberate May, and then when they figure out the what it is, actually is. Like, I think that's great. Like, okay, let me tell you, I'm going to nitpick another thing. Early in the film, they have a recording, and uh, it's like basically just like, like screaming, and, and I think Kathleen Quinlan or someone is like, let me try to run this through some filters, right? Yes. And that's when you can barely make out like someone going like, Liberate me. And someone is like, what's that? Is that gibberish? And Jason Jason Isaacs is like, it's Latin. It means save me. And I was like, are you telling me that like nobody on earth decided that to like run this recording through a filter and like no one figured out that he was saying that? Because like that recording was broadcast back to earth. That's like how they found it, right? Yes. But having said that, I think it's terrifying. I think that... I think what this movie does is just there's just a lot of like it's in your head, right? Like hearing those people screaming and the dude saying like, save me. Like I wouldn't go to that ship if I heard that. But then later, later there's this quiet moment where Jason Isaac is talking to Lawrence Fishburne and he says, I actually listened to it a couple more times and he's not saying liberate me. He's like saying liberate tuta me ex infernus or whatever, right? Yeah. Which is like save us from hell. And I think that's a great moment. I think in case it was unclear, I think it's at that moment that you realize, oh, shit, this ship went to hell, right? But it also doesn't really make sense that, like, it sounds like two totally different recordings, right? Well, she's run it through some filters. Sure. I think it's fine. It's a little bit of a crib from Alien, because if you remember an Alien, oh, they God, respond to it. Well, hey, look, I got to point it out, right? <laughs> In Alien, they re- they respond to what they think is a distress signal. That's what brings them to the planet. And then they figure out that it wasn't a distress signal. It was a warning to stay away from the planet. And I feel like this is kind of just a, a take on that idea. Like, oh, we got a signal that said, save us. But really, it's saying, save yourself from hell. It's a ripoff of Alien. That's fine. I think what I'm saying is, why not just have it be save us like they just say save us and then later he says there's actually more to the message it's save us from hell right well that's essentially what they do except if you're just being nerdy about it, if you listen to the message it's like he says liberate 
May. This is a dumb nitpick. I'm sorry. I'm shutting this down. Cut it. Fine. Cut they, it out. They Whatever. said filters. She runs it through filters. He didn't hear it. But like filters don't change the timing of the way a phrase is said is what I'm saying. In the original recording, he doesn't go liberate may. Like he says liberate may. There's not enough space for tuta may in there. That's what I'm saying. That's my note. It's nitpick. It's you wanted nitpicks. You're sitting there being like you're being too easy on the film. I'm nitpicking it more for being a lazy crib on Alien, but you know whatever. I like the Latin. I think that's a good creepy. If you're gonna do like hell and space, there should be some yeah. Latin thrown in there for sure. So that's the way they did it. I mean, look, honestly, I think a lot of this movie is just kind of like reskinning a lot of ideas from shining alien and whatever but i like that i like it when a movie or any story can kind of like okay like there's cool ideas in these other stories and we're gonna put it into this environment and use it in you know i think that's cool i think that's a a good way to you know play with genres and stuff like that so i'm just you know pointing out that there's some very clear cribs i mean you mentioned the shining but when you did you neglected to mention that there's a scene literally where like the stasis tubes that they like you know travel 52 days or whatever which which is a nitpick i have like they get into like essentially these liquid tubes right that are basically like suspended animation tubes right but they're only going 52 days. Like, why do you need to go to sleep for that? They explain it. He says because of the speed they have to travel. You're right. Be you're right. 30 times gravity. It will scramble your brain. I rescind my nitpick. I remember that line. There's a scene where, you know, the event horizon has a similar room full of chambers with these tubes in it, which got confusing because at one point there's a scene where they're in there and I was like, are they back in the Lewis and Clark? But no, because the Lewis and Clark didn't have air at that point. So they weren't there. Basically, those tubes all fill with blood, just like the elevators opening in The Shining and then the tubes burst and the blood all pours out of the tubes it's fun it's cool but it's like totally a lift from the shining yeah that's fair yeah i like it i think it's a good lift but like this movie does a lot of that kind of stuff i think i mean look times have changed now and like i don't know who who's out there who's like a horror fan who hasn't seen this movie but I, i tell you this if you take a a normal person who doesn't either doesn't watch horror movies or watches very little and you put them in a dark room and show them Event Horizon, it still will scare them. I think that's what I'm getting at. I think this is a scary movie that holds up. I think you're right. I'll co-sign that. I appreciate that. I'll, I'm going to fax it over to you later. I, I I'm only being critical of it because I know you're not going to be. So somebody has to point out that this movie <laughs> is not like a perfect example of cinema. No, 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 no. It's it's not that. I think it's just sort of like, it. while it is clearly like someone was like, let's take The Shining and Alien and just mix them together, Right. While it is that, it it does feel very different from anything else. Not since this movie has there been like a haunted spaceship movie that I can think of. If they did, like, I mean, I guess there was Pandorum, but that's a very different thing, you know? Yeah. I don't know. This movie just feels very unique to me. And I think part of it is, in fact, this idea of like, you keep pushing against this. I want to see hell. I want to see hell. But like... I like the idea that hell is constantly held back from you. You don't get to see what what Justin sees when he goes through the portal. You just hear the screaming of the crew and them begging to be saved. And like, I think that's what leaves you with this uneasy feeling while you're watching it. 
I just feel like movies now show too much. They just show too much and they explain too much. Yeah. And that takes away from the scary. And Event Horizon is like, I'm not going to explain jack shit other than like, it's a vibe movie. Right. Well, now they could do this whole CG hell and it would be it trying would really to bad. be, yeah, they'd be trying to be scary and it wouldn't be. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, I mean, you know, it's the Jaws thing. The less you see, the scarier it is. So, I mean, I don't feel that there's that much more to say about the movie. I mean, you know, the ship no. goes up, it goes into a black hole and we've already said who survives and we've already said Sam Neill comes back at the end and throws Lawrence Fishburne around the spiky room. I don't really know why why Sam Neill has his eyes back, but I, I guess it's just because he's like, he's actually not Sam Neill. He's like a demon or he's been reborn from hell. They may definitely make a whole point about how he gouged his eyes out and he has no eyes. Yeah. And in the last scene, he now has eyes. Yeah. I mean, it's a reshoot. It just seems kind of like lazy. Sure. There's a part of me that just feels like this movie doesn't need to end with like a fist fight between two dudes in like the reactor room like it feels like the wrong thing i do love the idea let me tell you what i love i love that Lawrence fishburne detonates the bridge that causes it to like separate and yeah. basically the back half of the ship is warped into hell it's implied that Lawrence fishburne will spend the rest of eternity being tortured to save the remaining crew and maybe that's why justin lives because the more people that survive this the more it makes his sacrifice worth it you know sure i also love that like basically the the two characters i thought would be first to die are the survivors of the film yeah i like that like cute blonde woman and like black comedic relief guy they're the ones who live not Lawrence fishburne and kathleen quinlan that's fine i'm good with all of that i mean i do think the very last jump scare scene is whatever like it basically we see the jolly richardson character come out of stasis and she thinks that like a rescue guy is lifting her up but it turns out it's sam neill and then she really wakes up yes the the movie literally ends with her like waking up on like maybe throwing up or whatever she's on the floor and the camera just like pulls back through the airlock and the door closes and the movie ends and it does end with a the end in case you didn't know <laughs> just so you didn't know what, what are all these words on the screen now like there's something classy about saying the end but it also seems totally dumb. People know that we've reached the end of the film, right? Like It's pretty redundant, yeah. That's what it is. It's redundant. I think the movie ends in an ambiguous state where it's like, did they bring hell back with them? Like, in their minds. Like, will they forever be tortured by visions? Or, or is it just like, hell isn't with them, but they just like had a traumatic experience? I don't know. Like, the final jump scare feels a little out of place. Uh, I feel like if you wanted to convey that, like, hell is still with them, there's a different way to do that, but... Whatever. At this point, the ride's over. Get off. Go home. Yeah, it's fine. It's only like, whatever, 30 seconds of movie. So yeah, I can live with it. It's not the worst horror movie ending that I've ever seen. It is definitely, definitely not. But there is this like, this need to be like, I don't really know what it is other than just like, I don't want you going home happy. Like, I just feel the need to scare you one last time. It's the B-movie horror trick. It's the ending of Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, it's yes. like, oh, we got to have one more scare. And I mean, I think that's what makes this movie feel to me lesser than something like Alien, which has a real ending. Like Alien has an ending where there is another scare at the end, but it's like a whole sequence. And then the movie's over. Whereas right, this right. is like, oh, we're going to throw in a little scare at the end for you to just kind of send you out with a tingle, you know? like. <laughs> Which is a B-movie horror trick, and that's yes. fine, And but that, I think, to me, 
lets you know what this movie is. Like, it is a funhouse ride, horror movie, B-movie kind of experience. As we've sort of said, and it's it's sort of held true, like, this movie, you know, obviously we're talking about it on tentpole trauma, so it didn't do well. It cost, like, I don't know, something like $45 million, and it only made... I think it cost 60 and they, and they made 40 or so. Yeah, so it's a bomb. And the critics didn't like it. It got pretty much critically panned. However, cut to 30 years later, and this movie has a really strong cult following. People like this movie. This movie is held up, you know, as a good space horror movie. You know, like this is probably considered top tier. Like I remember when Prometheus came out and everybody was all excited. I know I was. And I remember when the first reviews started hitting and people were like, set your expectations more at Event Horizon than (laughs) Alien. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And that's not a dig on Event Horizon. That's just like letting you know, like, okay, this isn't going to be like Alien. And I mean, I think most people would probably consider Event Horizon to be better than Prometheus, which is a much classier movie. Prometheus is a more expensive and I guess classier film. Yeah, it's classier. But Event Horizon's better. It's a better movie. It achieves what it's trying to do more so than Prometheus does. I mean, to me, ultimately, like my criteria for deciding whether or not I think a movie is successful or not, just in terms of artistically, is like, did it achieve what it is trying to do? You might not like what it's trying to do. I don't feel that I have to like what it's trying to do to at least say, okay, this movie succeeded. When I say that, I'm talking about like art films that I don't really like or whatever, but I'll be like, well, I didn't like enjoy the experience of watching it, but the movie achieved what it was trying to do. So I can begrudgingly say it's a good movie. And I feel that this movie does achieve that. Like, it's a haunted house movie in space. It pulls it off. It's spooky. It has moments that get under your skin. It's got some fun sequences, suspenseful sequences to watch. I don't think it's, like, great from beginning to end, but I think it succeeds in what it's trying to do. I know we're at the part where you always ask, like, why why do you think it failed or why did it fail? And I don't really know because, I mean, other than... With the exception of Alien, people don't really like space horror movies, I guess. In large numbers, they don't, because clearly people didn't turn out for it. I don't really know why people weren't into this, because I think it is a classy film, and I don't know why critics are such fucking crybabies. Like, how could you watch this movie and not at least say, like, yeah, look, I mean, it's like, like you said, it's a funhouse horror movie, but it's a good one. Like, like Paul Anderson has, like, he delivered a tense atmospheric nightmarish vision and if you're in the mood for that here it is right to say this movie is like less than a c is fucking ridiculous yeah i agree with that you also have to take into consideration when you're asking why did it fail i think you have to take into consideration that this point in the 90s like horror was just in a different place like scream had just come out we're about to go into the whole like post scream phase of like sort of self-referential stuff 
this just wasn't what people were into at the time. And like they tried a bunch of different types of sci-fi movies in the late nineties. I mean, we got lost in space that didn't do well. And, and I do think you're right. I just think this is like a genre that only really has had success when it's alien. I think aliens kind of like the perfect horror and space formula and nothing else has ever really come close to being that good. So I don't think it's a subgenre that average type of people look for. Like if they want horror, they want like a haunted house with a family in it, or they want like a slasher stalking teenagers. It's like, this is one of the things about horror that kind of keeps it from being like my favorite, favorite genre. I know I'm a horror fan. I love horror movies. It's obviously a very important part of my life, but I get bored with them because they really don't take chances. It's the same kind of formulas over and over and over. There's not a whole lot of imagination because the horror audience doesn't like a lot of variation. If people are into like haunted house movies, that's all they want to watch. And they don't care how many fucking variations of like a family moves into a house and there's a ghost or a demon or like how many fucking movies have they made of that same fucking story? And that's just what some people want out of their horror movies. And then there's the other people that want to see a mask killer stalk around and kill a bunch of young people and they'll just watch that over and over and over and over again. And I mean, I like those things too, but it seems like nobody wants to try anything else or nothing else does well. So that's all we get. If you're a real fan, you're going to dig and you're going to find the more interesting things because they're there too. You just have to look for them. But yeah, I, I feel like this subgenre of horror, it's like, oh, they tried it a couple of times and nobody really seemed to like it. So yeah, we're not going to really do that anymore. Let's go back to the thing about the haunted house. <laughs> it's a family who has trauma and they're in a haunted house. That's quite a rant there. I uh, I don't really agree because I think horror is is the genre where people take the most chances. Unless you're counting only like widely distributed horror films, like, like theatrically distributed horror films. I agree that like those, the standard thing you see at the AMC whatever 48 by your house or yeah that's what i'm talking about like a horror movie that's actually going to make some box office okay then yes i do feel that like in general they serve up the same mostly like every once in a while you get something different like barbarian or sort of talk to me you know like there are things that come along movies i've liked by the way both of them i like them as well but i feel like the issue is just like like space horror specifically is like it's more expensive it's an expensive movie I don't understand if you are the type of person who wants to go watch haunted house movie, if you want to go see The Conjuring, why would you have a problem with Conjuring in space other than, I guess, a certain contingent of people just go like, I don't like science fiction shit, so I'm out. Even though it's a horror movie, yes. I don't want to watch a space movie, right? Like, I mean, look, as a, what are you going to call it? A nerd, a fucking genre lover, shit like that. My whole life... Well, since 2001, I have been like, I genuinely don't understand why someone would not, A, want to see The Lord of the Rings, and B, not like it if they did. Like, I literally cannot comprehend, right? 
Same thing goes for um, when Pacific Rim came out. I remember saying this is going to make all the money in the world because who would not want to watch giant robot people fight giant monsters? Who would not want to watch that? And then it turns out most people. I'm a, like, yeah. <laughs> it turns out, I mean, Lord of the Rings is different. That was a huge success, obviously. But like, there's just certain things that I can't even comprehend the idea of saying, I don't want this, right? And I guess there are people who like, right now are sitting there saying, who doesn't want a Mean Girls musical movie, right? Who doesn't want to watch that again? And I'm like, not me. I don't. I don't either, right? (laughs) So I guess there's a certain type of person who says, what do you mean it takes place on a spaceship in the year 2047 and it's haunted? Oh, boo, I don't want that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That's all I want. I want all the movies to be about a haunted spaceship. (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess what I'm saying is, to all the people who were alive in 1997 and you didn't go see Event Horizon, I'm angry at you, all right? You caused this movie to bomb, and that's why we don't get nice things anymore. Well, you should probably be angry at me because I don't think I saw this in the theater. I'm angry at you for many reasons. This is one of them, <laughs> okay? There was a lot going on in 97 for me. Look, to be fair, I gave that whole rant, but I did not go see Pandorum when it was in theaters, so... Yeah, so there. <laughs> I just love this movie, and unfortunately, yeah, it's clouded by a certain amount of nostalgia from seeing it when I was at the right age, and it getting under my skin, and now I can't I can't watch it without remembering those feelings. I have no idea how this movie plays for someone who watches it for the first time, but I do know that Event Horizon has a massive cult following. People speak very highly of this. I'm in a lot of like online groups where people talk about horror movies. This movie continually comes up with nothing but high praise. I do not think it is a flawless film. Some of the characters are a little just bland and it mo- and the pacing is a little off at times, but as just like a it just feels so fucking different. You're right. It's like everything's a fucking haunted house movie, right? I've seen the same thing over and over and Paul Anderson came along and was like, "What about a spaceship that goes to hell?" and brings hell back that's fucking cool he delivers he delivers on that premise i agree it's a great premise and i think it's overall a fun movie i have less nostalgia for it so i see the flaws i think a little more clearly than you do but i'm not going to sit here and say that it's not a good time because it is and if you've never seen event horizon you like horror movies and you like spaceship movies you gotta see it for sure all right well i'm gonna go open up a portal to hell and gouge out my own eyes and blow myself out of an airlock with a useless timer on it. (laughs) That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows? One day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. 
Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.